We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 264 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, March 4th, 2022. A happy Friday to you and yours. You know, it's supposed to be in the 60s in the Washington, D.C. area on Saturday and then be in the 70s in the D.C. area on Sunday. What have we done to deserve this? I don't know, but I'll take it. We could use it. Just like my Maryland Terrapins could have used Rick Pitino, Slick Rick, as their next head coach, but that apparently isn't happening. Whatever speculation was out there about Pitino becoming Terps head coach was squashed by none other than Pitino himself on Thursday with a Twitter statement saying that he will not be Maryland's next head coach. That's too bad. I know that Pitino can get you on probation, but I also know uh, that Pitino can get you to a Final Four. Uh, That's going to be interesting, this Terps head coaching search. You got Maryland looking for a head coach. You potentially will be having Georgetown looking for a head coach as well. Well, in the meantime, a nice weather weekend is coming. Winter is ending. Spring is coming. And the NFL scouting combine is continuing. Did you watch or follow the quarterback workouts on Thursday night? Malik Willis showed off his cannon for an arm. Carson Strong showed off his cannon for an arm. Desmond Ritter had one of the better showings of athleticism that you'll ever see a quarterback have. What does all of this mean? Who the heck knows? But it's fun to talk about it. Next segment, as our commanders are searching, mining, combing the earth for a franchise quarterback, I will discuss the latest on the quarterbacks at the Combine, including, yes, Kenny Pickett's hand size. The measurement is in eight and a half inches. Oh, the horror. I'll talk about that. I'll discuss other quarterback measurements on Thursday. What was quarterback day at the Combine with the quarterbacks being measured and working out at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis? I'll also talk about a video of Malik Willis that went viral on Thursday. The video is of him helping a homeless person or a less fortunate person. Uh, Not certain if the person is homeless, but the legend of Malik Willis continues to grow. You know, Seattle Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll at the Combine on Wednesday said that the Hawks have no intention 
of trading Russell Wilson. Of course, if he asks to be traded, uh, that can change everything. But maybe it's just me. But I am really starting to feel Malik Willis as the guy for our commanders. You know, this Russell Wilson thing may well be far-fetched. I've always liked Malik Willis, but everything that keeps coming up with Willis makes me like him even more. I have a special guest for you on the show, Eric Eager, the Vice President of Research and Development for Pro Football Focus. Uh, Eric is one of the smartest people out there when it comes to talking NFL, and he has just written about how NFL teams should attack the quarterback position in an offseason in which the quarterback class in the NFL draft isn't believed to be very good. The results of his research may surprise you, but uh, these are results that are very relevant to our commanders. So Eric and I are going to talk about drafting quarterbacks, how the commanders should be approaching their quarterback situation, and much more. Eric's also going to give us NFL comps for Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett. Also on the show, I will talk Capitals, a great win for the Caps on Thursday night, a 4-0 ripping of the Metropolitan Division-leading Carolina Hurricanes at Capital One Arena. The Caps needed that win badly. Uh, they had not been playing well. Vitek Vanacek pitching the shutout on Thursday night. And I'll talk Wizards as Bradley Beal on Thursday did a press conference for the first time since being declared done for the rest of the regular season due to a torn ligament in his left wrist. Uh, Beal did address his future with the Wizards. He also addressed what he needs to work on as a player. Uh, I have a lot to say about all of that. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Rich Holin off the recent passing of Redskins all-time great Charlie Taylor. Writes Rich, as a longtime Skins fan, I always thought it peculiar how our legends numbers were unofficially retired other than Sammy Baws. He is still the greatest player in franchise history, even if none of us saw him play. Then Bobby Mitchell had his jersey retired only after he passed away, followed by Sean Taylor and that obscene attempt at misdirection. The passing of the great Charlie Taylor, whose number 42 is unofficially retired, kind of ticked me off in that the team didn't ever formally honor him for 14 years as a player and almost two decades more as a scout and assistant coach before he passed. Watch the team retire his number now. I'm fine if the numbers of guys like Joe Theismann and my childhood hero, Larry Brown, are just unofficially retired. They were our stars, but not Hall of Famers. But as a fan base, can we lean on Jason Wright to retire the numbers of Ken Houston, Daryl Green, John Riggins, and Art Monk, and maybe a hog or two before they pass away. Charlie Taylor and his family deserve better. Uh, thank you for the email, Rich. Good topic. Here to me is the problem. Once you start retiring numbers, where do you draw the line? Like you just listed a number of all-time great Redskins whose numbers certainly are worthy of being retired, but there are plenty of other all-time great Redskins who you didn't mention. Uh, what about Sonny Jurgensen? What about Chris Hanberger? What about Jerry Smith? What about Gary Clark? Like, where do you draw the line? I think that the team may need to stop with retiring players' numbers because as things stand now, you can say, hey, three numbers have been retired. Sammy Baugh's, Bobby Mitchell's, and Sean Taylor's. Sammy Baugh's number is retired because he was the first great player for the franchise, and he's almost like the Babe Ruth of the NFL. 
Bobby Mitchell's number is retired because he was a great player who also is significant for social reasons, right? First black player in franchise history, a history that includes the team being the last NFL team to integrate thanks to the founding owner of the franchise, George Preston Marshall, being a racist. And Sean Taylor's number is retired because he was a truly gifted player whose career and life were cut short by murder. And Sean has taken on almost mythical proportions, and he is a very special player for a lot of fans. So in other words, you have Ball and then two guys with whom there are special circumstances. And then that can be it for actually retiring numbers. I think it becomes really tricky if you start retiring the numbers of some all-time great Redskins, but not other all-time great Redskins. But I'm totally with Rich on honoring people before they die. Uh, I do think that you should do that. Uh, you know, there's no reason that the team couldn't do, say, a Sonny Jurgensen day at FedEx Field this coming season or a Chris Hamburger day at FedEx Field this coming season. You can honor an all-time great without actually retiring his number. Uh, email from Kurt Martin in Lynchburg, Virginia on a potential quarterback option for the Commanders. Atlanta Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan writes, Kurt, howdy, Al. Uh, I sincerely hope all is well. One name that I haven't heard in possible trade consideration is Matt Ryan. The Falcons have not committed to him fully as being the starter, and his time there could be up. How does two number ones, including the number 11 pick and Deron Payne, sound for Matty Ice? Ryan sounds like a more realistic option than Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers. Thanks for all you do. Well, thank you, Kurt. Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't be against trading for Matt Ryan, but I would not want to give up two first-round picks and Deron Payne for Matt Ryan. I would rather use that capital uh, to get someone younger and better, and if that's not possible, then I would rather take the quarterback who I like the best in the 2022 NFL draft, like Malik Willis. Uh, Matt Ryan is still decent, but Matt Ryan is in decline. This coming season will be his age 37 season. If he was still great, then the age wouldn't bother me, but he's no longer great. Uh, Matt Ryan's rankings among qualified quarterbacks in total QBR per ESPN for the last three regular seasons are 14th in 2019, 16th in 2020, and 21st in 2021. Uh, That is not a good trajectory. And Matt Ryan's yards per pass attempt for this past regular season, just 7.09. That was his lowest yards per pass attempt for a regular season since 2013. Uh, There are reasons that the Falcons are not fully committing to Matt Ryan. Email from Billy D in NC on another potential quarterback option for the Commanders, Las Vegas Raiders unrestricted free agent to be Marcus Mariota, writes Billy D. The podcast is awesome. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Billy D. Continues Billy D. Quick question in the Commanders quarterback search, why is there so little mention of Marcus Mariota? He is still young. He has good size. He has a good arm and he's very mobile. In his career, he has thrown 77 touchdown passes versus 45 interceptions. If the commanders cannot get Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, or Derek Carr, I would think that Mariota is at least on par with Mitchell Trubisky. Mariota will be a free agent and will not require giving up any players or picks. Do you think he is in the mix? Do you think he should be in the mix? Uh, Good question, Billy D. So I would rather the commanders sign Mitchell Trubisky, then sign Marcus Mariota. I think that there's more potential upside with Trubisky. But I mean, you know, let's be honest. All right. Debating between Trubisky and Mariota is like asking 
you know, would you rather swim in lava or quicksand, okay? Neither option is super appealing given what we know. I will say this about Mariota. There were some things to like about his last two true seasons as a starting quarterback, 2017 and 2018 for the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Mariota's overall grade for pro football focus for the 2017 regular season was 76.2. His overall grade for PFF for the 2018 regular season was 76.8. Those are not great grades, but they are decent grades. They are solid grades. Uh, Also, Mariota over the 2017 and 2018 regular seasons had the number one rushing grade for PFF among all qualified quarterbacks at 87.0. So there is perhaps some upside uh, with Mariota, but I think that there's more upside with Trubisky, mainly because his situation with now former Chicago Bears head coach Matt Nagy uh, during their three seasons together does seem to have been bad. The truth about that matters a lot. You know, if you buy into Trubisky was done dirty by Nagy, then you buy into the idea of Trubisky having upside. But if the truth is that Trubisky was just as responsible for his struggles with the Bears as Nagy was, if not more, well, then that's a different conversation. This, to me, is actually where Charles Leno being on the Commanders helps out a lot. Leno was on the Bears for all of Trubisky's seasons with the Bears. So Leno, I would think, has some really good intel on the truth about what went on uh, with Trubisky during his time with the Bears. Uh, There's also this. So Trubisky does have a troubling history of shoulder problems. I've talked about that history, but Mariota has a very significant injury history. 2015 regular season, Mariota missed four games, two games in October, due to a sprained left MCL, two games in December due to a sprained right MCL. 2016 regular season, Mariota missed the Titans final game due to a fractured right fibula. 2017 regular season, Mariota missed a game in October due to a left hamstring injury. 2018 regular season, Mariota missed two games but dealt with numerous injuries, missed a game in September due to an elbow injury that created numbness in his throwing hand. Uh, He left the game in November due to a right elbow injury. He missed the Titans final game due to neck and foot injuries. So a pillar of durability, Marcus Mariota has not been. Uh, Email from Mike P on the commander's offseason plans. Writes, Mike, what if the commanders don't make any big moves this offseason? Don't get a big-time quarterback. Don't spend to bring in talent and depth. How would it make you feel about the future of this team and the decision-making? Mike, I tell you what, I actually would respect the heck out of the commanders not making any big moves this offseason because doing nothing this offseason would be so contrarian, so out of the box, so against what everyone is expecting and wants that you would have to admire the gumption. You would have to admire the chutzpah on display by Ron Rivera and the commanders. You know, one of my favorite people when it comes to talking baseball is Brian Kenny of MLB Network. He's a big sabermetrics guy. Brian has talked about how if you study baseball teams as off-seasons, actually sometimes the best thing is to just do nothing. Let players develop, don't sign any bad contracts, and just see what happens because things can actually work out quite well with that approach. But uh, no, the commanders this off-season will not be doing nothing. Uh, they're going to be doing something. And I do think that that something will include acquiring a veteran quarterback over the next few weeks as the NFL's new league year begins. Well, you should not do nothing. If you've been wronged, uh, you should do something. And that something is contact the law firm of Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson 
and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a law firm that is ready to represent you if you've been wrong. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases throughout Washington, D.C., and West Virginia. But also know this about Paulson and Nace. If you own or run a Washington, D.C.-based or West Virginia-based business, Paulson and Nace can help you with your business insurance policy. You see, a business insurance policy, yes, is meant to reimburse you for losses incurred in catastrophes like fires or burglaries, but business insurance also includes business interruption insurance. And with the COVID-19 pandemic and resulting restrictions, there may be legal options available to you to recoup your losses. Contact Paulson and Nace to find out more. The attorneys at Paulson and Nace can help you review your business insurance policy and understand what options you have in running a business in these uncertain times. So whether you're dealing with a personal injury, medical malpractice, or business insurance situation, contact Paulson and Nace. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. These guys are excellent at what they do. Call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. You're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you, but see what Paulson and Nace can do for you. You have nothing to lose. Schedule your no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. A reminder to subscribe to the podcast. If you don't already do that, subscribing costs you nothing, zero. Uh, and make sure that you never miss an episode. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, please give the podcast a five-star rating. And please write a brief one or two-sentence review saying how much that you like the podcast. You can also now give the podcast a five-star rating on Spotify. If you've already done these things, thank you very much. If you haven't yet done these things, you know, giving a five-star rating, writing a brief review, uh, these things take less than a minute. The ratings and the reviews help to make the podcast successful, and I very much appreciate you guys doing those things. So Thursday was day three of the NFL Scouting Combine at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, and Thursday was quarterback day. So Thursday was a day of particular interest for our franchise quarterback needy commanders. Uh, we got quarterback measurements and quarterback workouts. Well, we got quarterback workouts for those who participated in quarterback workouts. Uh, without question, the number one measurement on people's minds was the hand size of Kenny Pickett. What would the hand size of Kenny P. B. Uh, he was known to have small hands. He had been doing exercises for a double-jointed thumb to improve his hand size measurement. Hand size measurements at the combine are done by measuring the tip of the thumb to the tip of the pinky finger with the hand outstretched. What you generally want with a quarterback is a hand size of at least nine inches. What or oh what would the hand size measurement of Kenny Pickett be? Well, Pickett's hand size on Thursday was measured to be eight and a half inches. Now, on the one hand, no pun intended, uh, Pickett's hand size being measured at eight and a half inches was a positive because there were concerns that Pickett's hand size would be 
just a little more than eight inches. The way that this guy's hands had been talked about, you'd have thought that he would have had the hand size of a Smurf, okay? So eight and a half inches was not like the calamity that some thought that we might get. But on the other hand, uh, it's important to understand the context of a hand size of eight and a half inches. Uh, no quarterback in the NFL right now has a hand size of eight and a half inches or smaller. Nobody. And as has made the rounds by now, the last successful NFL quarterback with a hand size of eight and a half inches was Michael Vick. So you're going back a ways here in terms of a guy with a hand size of eight and a half inches or smaller who has done well in the NFL. There's also this. So as you may recall, a lot was made of Joe Burrow's hand size at the 2020 NFL Scouting Combine. Burrow in February 2020 tweeted, quote, considering retirement after I was informed the football will be slipping out of my tiny hands, please keep me in your thoughts, end quote. Uh, that was a great tweet from Burrow. Well, do you know what Burrow's teeny tiny hand size measurement was in 2020? Nine inches. Yeah, nine inches. Kenny Pickett's hand size measurement was eight and a half inches. The Joe Burrow hand size measurement that people made a big deal out of two years ago was nine inches. Kenny Pickett's hand size measurement, eight and a half inches. Remember, Kenny Pickett did not have his hand size measured during Senior Bowl week in Mobile, Alabama in late January. Uh, this was due to having the double jointed thumb. Uh, the double jointed nature of the thumb caused the thumb to naturally point in an odd direction. So the idea was that he was doing these exercises to try to get a more normal direction for his thumb for a better hand size measurement at the combine. So, you know, you think about it, if not for these exercises, what would the hand size measurement have been? If not for the exercises, would we have needed like a magnifying glass to see Kenny Pickett's hands? Uh, it's like in the episode of Seinfeld in which George Costanza has no leverage with his girlfriend and he says that he has no hand. Kenny Pickett has no hand. I'm very uncomfortable. I have no power. I mean, why should she have the upper hand? Once in my life, I would like the upper hand. I have no hand. No hand at all. She has the hand. I have no hand. Yeah, I have no hand. Kenny Pickett has no hand. So what are we to make of this Kenny Pickett hand size thing? Well, I on Thursday's show, episode 263, played a cut from ESPN NFL draft analyst Mel Kuyper Jr. on ESPN's Get Up with Mike Greenberg this week. Here is that cut. Uh, Mel on the Kenny Pickett hand size thing. I talked to my friends in the NFL, and when I brought it up, not one said it was, in fact, they laughed about it. They brought up, you know, Joe Burrow. What was his hand size? Around nine? Look what he's done in the AFC North, playing in Cincinnati, Cleveland, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh. Tony Romo didn't have a big hand. Michael Vick, listen, Ryan Tannehill, the risk goes on and on. And some of the guys that had the 10-plus have been bust in the first round of the NFL draft. So, like I said, it was laughed off by GMs, former GMs, personnel directors, former personnel directors. It, it was laughed off by everybody I talked to in the NFL, Greeny, that's been there for 40 years or been in a position for 15 years. It didn't matter. Not one said it was a significant issue. He wears gloves on both hands. I talked to Mark Whipple, former quarterback coach and coordinator who's now in Nebraska, was with Big Ben in Pittsburgh. He didn't, he said, hey, wear the gloves. Said, who, who cares? You know, I mean, he played at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. He had a heck of a career with 50 starts. Uh, he's going to go in the top 15. I have him to Washington. I don't think hand size is going to have any bearing on where he goes. 
All right, so Mel Kiper Jr. on the Kenny Pickett hand size situation, it was, quote, laughed off, end quote, by everybody to whom Mel talked. And Mel does have Kenny Pickett being taken by the commanders in the 2022 NFL draft. Uh, personally, here's how I look at the Kenny Pickett hand size thing it's not nothing, but it's nowhere near enough of a big deal to be more than a minor something. Would it be better if Kenny Pickett had big hands or even just average-sized hands in terms of NFL quarterbacks' hands? Uh, yes. I mean, it's not illogical to think that a quarterback with smaller hands will be more prone to fumbling, especially considering that NFL footballs are bigger than footballs in college football. But how about this? So the obvious question is, well, were Kenny Pickett's small hands a problem at Pitt? in terms of fumbling. Well, that depends on how you want to look at things. So Pickett over 52 career games at Pitt had 38 fumbles per pro football focus, okay? I don't like to use official fumbling data because official fumbling data, uh, to me, can be skewed. And sometimes a quarterback will be credited with a fumble when, in fact, a running back was more responsible for the fumble or another player was more responsible for the fumble. So I do like to go with the PFF fumbling data. Kenny Pickett, 52 career games at Pitt, 38 fumbles per PFF. Uh, That sure does seem like a good bit of fumbles, right? But how about this? Desmond Ritter, over 50 career games at Cincinnati, had 36 fumbles per PFF. Desmond Ritter at the combine on Thursday had a hand size measurement of 10 inches. So the idea of, well, if you have bigger hands, you're less prone to fumbling, eh, not really. Not really. So yeah, I mean, could it be that Kenny Pickett has a fumbling problem? Yeah, but that may not be because of his hands. That just may be because of, say, his grip strength, which is different than hand size. Uh, There also was this. Kenny Pickett, during his collegiate career for Pro Football Focus, had a total passing grade of just 37.2 in games in which there was some type of precipitation. Uh, A passing grade of 37.2 is a really bad passing grade. You do wonder if Pickett's hand size had something to do with that bad collegiate career PFF passing grade in games in which there was some type of precipitation. But that said, the commanders, to me, in no way should take Kenny Pickett off their draft board because of his hand size, okay? There are many other things about Kenny Pickett that matter much more than his hand size. Uh, As for the other top quarterbacks at the Combine, uh, here were their hand sizes. Uh, Malik Willis, nine and a half inches. Matt Corral, nine and five-eighth inches. Sam Howell, nine and one-eighth inches. Carson Strong, nine and one-eighth inches. And Desmond Ritter, as mentioned, 10 inches. Here were the heights and weights for the top quarterbacks at the Combine. Kenny Pickett, 6'3", 217. Malik Willis, 6 feet, 219. Matt Corral, 6'2", 212. Uh, that's a good weight for Corral because he has had a thinness to him. Uh, Sam Howell, 6'1", 218. Carson Strong, 6'3", 226. Desmond Ritter, 6'3", 211. Uh, No surprise that Carson Strong is the tallest and the heaviest of the bunch. Interesting that Malik Willis is the shortest of the bunch, but also the second heaviest of the bunch. Speaking of Malik Willis, or should I say Jesus? 
Did you see what came out on Thursday regarding Jesus Willis? Uh, emerging on Thursday was a video of Malik Willis on Wednesday at a street corner in Indianapolis, or at least in the Indianapolis area, tending to a homeless person, or at the very least, someone on hard times. Uh, Willis was handing the person items from what appeared to be the person's suitcase. Uh, the video isn't very long, but the video went viral. Unless this whole thing was staged, okay? Unless this was like a Jesse Smollett situation. Uh, this was obviously a tremendous gesture by Malik Willis. And this only adds to the ever-growing legend of Malik Willis. He, on Wednesday at the Combine, gave a press conference that was very well-received. Uh, we had that tweet from Panthers insider Joe Person of the Athletic Carolina on Wednesday, quote, Malik Willis played for Cam Newton's seven-on-seven team, went to Cam's Atlanta high school, and like Cam, is confident and engaging. Willis just crushed his Combine media session, end quote. Uh, people have raved about Malik Willis, the person, for months, and now we have this instance of Malik Willis tending to a less fortunate person. This extreme act of kindness by Malik Willis. He is Jesus Willis. He is not Malik Willis. I mean, the guy is becoming like too good to be true. Have you ever seen the movie Meet the Parents? Do you remember Owen Wilson's character in the movie? Uh, Owen Wilson in the movie Meet the Parents plays this like goody two-shoes, okay? Someone who says things and does things and it's just like, there's no way that this guy is real. There's no way that this guy is legit because he's just too good to be true. There's a great scene with the goody two-shoes Owen Wilson character in the movie and the main actor in the movie, Ben Stiller. They walk into a garage in which the Owen Wilson character has all of this carpentry work that he has done. <laughs> Take a listen. So what got you into uh, carpentering? Carpentry? I guess I'd have to say Jesus. He was a carpenter, and I just figured if you're going to follow in someone's footsteps, who better than Christ? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that scene. Yeah, I guess I'd have to say Jesus. I guess I'd have to say Jesus. That's Malik Willis, okay? He is the Owen Wilson character in Meet the Parents. This, like, perfect person. Uh, anyway, I'm a big fan of Malik Willis. The mobility is tantalizing. The arm strength is sick. Willis put on a show at the Combine on Thursday night. And now we know that Malik Willis is Mother Teresa in terms of kindness. Uh, I do want the commanders considering taking Malik Willis in the first round of the 2022 draft, even if that means trading up. And along those lines, consider the following. So Ron Rivera on Wednesday at the Combine spoke with CBS Sports HQ. Among those who he spoke with was Josina Anderson. Here was a Q&A between Josina and Ron on Malik Willis, a.k.a. Jesus. And going back to the draft prospects, when you're looking at the quarterbacks, specifically like a guy like Malik Willis, who people are calling, you know, like a raw prospect or whatever, especially since you're defensive minded, you have the defensive prowess. When you look at the tape, talk to me about what's your process in terms of discerning whether a guy can diagnose a defense versus whether it's the fact that he's just going for the grand slam and just needs to learn to take what's underneath. 
You know what's interesting about and him in particular mm-hmm. is there are a lot of similar traits to a lot of these guys that have had success in our league. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I was fortunate enough to have drafted one of them in Cam Newton, who's a very special player. This young man has a tremendous skill set. You know, will some of those things he does translate? Absolutely. Will there some, some things that he'll have to learn and develop and grow on? Absolutely. But I can tell you, have an opportunity to interview him. He's a heck of a young man, mm-hmm. and he shows he's got the football acumen that you need to be successful in this in this league. So, mm-hmm. you know, is he a guy that you got to look at and pay attention to? Definitely. Um, and we'll see. But again, we're still going to go through this process. We're still going to look at all these these prospects that are out there in terms of being able to develop. You know, who we think is the guy that can, that that we need going forward if that's the direction we go. All right. So Ron Rivera on Malik Willis, quote, you know what's interesting about in him in particular is there are a lot of similar traits to a lot of these guys that have had success in our league. And I was fortunate enough to have drafted one of them in Cam Newton, who is a very special player, end quote. Uh, I would call that an endorsement of Malik Willis from Ron Rivera. I don't want to make too big of a deal out of what Ron said, but we know how much Ron reveres his time as Carolina Panthers head coach, okay? 95% of the commander's coaching staff front office and roster is former Panthers. For Ron to compare Malik to Cam, uh, that to me is significant. The more that I see of, read about, and hear about Malik Willis, the more that I like. Uh, Is he a sure thing? No. Could he be a bust? Sure. But there's a lot to him that suggests that he could be a very good NFL quarterback. His stock is soaring right now. Uh, One more thing on the quarterbacks at the Combine. Desmond Ritter, very good workout on Thursday night. You know, there are concerns about Ritter, including his accuracy, but the guy is an athlete. Ritter led all quarterbacks with a 4-5-2-40, a 10-foot, 7-inch broad jump, and a 36-inch vertical jump. Desmond Ritter is a freakish athlete in terms of quarterbacks as athletes. For comparison's sake, Patrick Mahomes at the 2017 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 4-8-40. Desmond Ritter on Thursday night at the Combine, a 4-5-2-40. Up next, more on quarterbacks. Specifically, how our commanders should approach their need for a quarterback and this offseason in which the NFL draft is said not to be great for quarterbacks. Joining us to talk about this will be a man who has just done some in-depth research on how a team like the Commanders should handle a draft like this one. Eric Eager, the Vice President of Research and Development for Pro Football Focus. Eric also will tell us what he thinks about the Commanders potentially signing Mitchell Trubisky, how the Commanders should be thinking about the quarterback position in general, NFL comps for Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett, and much more. Trust me, you do not want to miss this, and it is next. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, time now for our special guest. I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast, Eric Eager. He is the Vice President of Research and Development for Pro Football Focus. You can follow Eric on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric. Eric is the man who developed PFF's wins above replacement metric, PFF's war metric. And Eric wrote a really interesting piece that came out on Tuesday, headline, How NFL Teams Should Attack the Quarterback Position Despite a Down Class. And by class, we mean quarterback class in the NFL Draft. Uh, So this article speaks quite clearly to us as Commanders fans, given the team's need for a franchise quarterback. And so it's great to have Eric on the podcast. He is coming to us from Indianapolis site of the NFL Scouting Combine. Eric, very nice to speak with you. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, the, you know, the Combine's been the combine's been a lot uh, of fun. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, the, the, the quarterback intrigue is there. The first overall pick intrigue is there and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, there's a lot to uh, there's a lot to, to to chew on here. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you guys at Pro Football Focus have been pumping out some great content. So you, in this recent piece that you wrote, examine the history of quarterbacks taken high in NFL drafts since the installation of the rookie wage scale, starting with the 2011 draft. And the idea was to put the quarterbacks' successes and failures in proper context. Before we get to your conclusions from your piece. I'm just curious, did the results of your research surprise you, or did you anticipate finding what you ended up finding? Yeah, I, this is, you know, I, it's something I've been keeping track of for a while because you have these debates about, and, you know, obviously you, you know, covering Washington, you, you know, the Kirk Cousins debate, right? Kirk Cousins, I think, is the, you know, the sort of uh, cornerstone player for, you know, this, this, this entire issue, which is, you have a you know pretty good quarterback, um, but obvious limitations keep the team from winning. And you know half the fan base thinks, oh well, having a good quarterback is a prerequisite for winning. And then and people like people like me and, and you know look at it and say, well, no, I mean like the league is a built-in mechanism for teams without a franchise quarterback to win. And uh, so so I, I wasn't surprised. I, you know, I, it's I built intuition about it, but. I actually was, the only thing I would say is after writing it, it's even more overwhelming than I had thought before. Wow. Interesting to hear that. So we have our team, the Commanders. Uh, They are desperate for a franchise quarterback. Ron Rivera is telling anyone who will listen that the team 
Watt's a franchise quarterback. The Commanders have the number 11 pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, but as we know, the draft is widely believed to not be a great draft for quarterbacks. The takeaway from your piece pretty clearly is, hey, don't fear drafting a quarterback. If the guy works out, that's huge, and if the guy doesn't work out, you actually have a better chance of moving on from him quickly and successfully than you may think. Uh, am I capturing that right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, yeah, because the hard part is, is people view, you know, draft picks, I think, weirdly. Like, I think a lot of people view the Jared Goff draft pick for the Rams as a failure because ultimately they had to trade him for, you know, Matthew Stafford and unload his salary and all that stuff. And, and but for me, it's like that pick was an overwhelming success. People view, you know, the, the Robert Griffin third you know, draft pick as a failure for Washington. But I think about it, I'm like, well, in that draft, I mean, they got two division titles out of that rookie deal, you know, you know, and, and obviously Cousins was the one that, that ushered in the second one in 2015. But, you know, the, the Washington was able to build a football team around a cheap quarterback and a cheap backup quarterback. And, uh, you know, uh, Carson Wentz is another one. I mean, that Eagles team won a Super Bowl. And I know Wentz flamed out, but, you know, it, it, again, like, what's the goal of playing football? It's, it's to win football games. And, you know, I don't necessarily care if my quarterback's a 6 out of 10. If the rest of my roster's an 8 out of 10, you know, I it, there's a, it, it's it's a far better alternative than a quarterback who, you know, like Kirk Cousins or like Carson Wentz or whatever is an 8 out of 10, but because you're paying him so much money, the rest of the roster uh, can't keep up. So bottom line for the commanders, uh, recent NFL history says if you need a quarterback, do not fear taking a quarterback in the first round of the 2022 draft, even though it's not believed to be a great draft for quarterbacks. Uh, yeah, I think so. And I, and I know, you know, again, the, the scars are what, what hurt, you know, like the, the Robert Griffin the third, even the Cousins fiasco, and then obviously Haskins, you know, that those are those, you know, those are in people's memories. Um, but yeah, I mean, in this draft, I mean, especially where Washington is picking uh, and especially in a draft where I think a lot of, you know, they could even trade back a little bit, recoup some picks um, and, and take somebody they like, let's say at 20 or so. But I mean, there's quarterbacks that'll help Washington right away, especially given the support. Kenny Pickett's one of those guys, you know, uh, I think Malik Willis might not necessarily be ready. I sort of think about comps, you know, I think of uh, Kenny Pickett's more of like a Jim McMahon, and, 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 you know, uh, Willis is, is more of like a Dante Culpepper. Um, you know, Dante took a year, uh, you know, and became one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL after that. Whereas McMahon was sort of ready to play, but he never was an elite player, but he was certainly a winner at the position. And, and then you look a little bit down, you know, Carson Strong's a strong arm quarterback. Um, you know, Desmond Ritter, I think a lot of people like as well. He's most probably the most ready to play, uh, you know, at a high level. Uh, of the group so there's plenty of options and again like you said if it doesn't work I mean we've even seen it in the most extreme here and the, these two men just got contract extensions you know Steve Kine you know going and saying well you know Josh Rosen doesn't work out now we have the first overall pick let you know let's just take another swing and you know the the Dolphins as bad as Josh Rosen was traded the second round picks for him so you know it, it, it's the position is really valuable and you know, the, the NFL, like I said, is a built-in mechanism for teams that don't have a franchise quarterback to make plays. 
We are talking with Eric Eager, Vice President of Research and Development for Pro Football Focus, about how the commanders should be approaching their quarterback search this offseason. So Ron Rivera last offseason talked a good bit about how you don't have to have an elite quarterback to do really well. And that was part of his justification for signing Ryan Fitzpatrick. In contrast, Ron, this offseason is talking up the importance of of a franchise quarterback. Now, there are some semantics here because not every franchise quarterback is elite, but generally speaking, in today's NFL, should a quarterback needy team like the Commanders be thinking about aiming for nothing but greatness at quarterback? Or is there validity to a team taking the approach of having a quarterback who's good enough but doesn't cost so much? I I just don't think you can, man. I, you know, Kirk, like, again, I always bring it back to Cousins because he's the perfect example of this. Kirk is probably at his ceiling a top seven quarterback in the NFL. Like, I mean, he's a very good player, um, but he, but at 35 to $45 million, like, it's just not worth the value proposition, right? Like, he, he's not, you know, and, and, and that's the thing. I mean, it, it's even teeter tottering, you know, a little bit higher than that. Like, take Dak Prescott in the commander's division. Like, I, I think the world of Dak Prescott, but I think he's more up and down. Than somebody who's paid forty five million dollars should be, you know, and 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 that's going to eventually. I mean, you think look at Dallas; they might have to let Demarcus Lawrence go. They might have to let, uh, you know, Michael Gallup go. Um, and that roster is going to atrophy around Dak. And the question becomes, can the guy overcome that? Right? I think when we look at Mahomes, we look at Allen, we look at guys like possibly Justin Herbert down the line. We look at Brady, Rogers. Those are guys that overcome rosters that have to be weaker because the salary that they're, you know, that the quarterback is taking is immense. Anything below those kind of players, you need a, a salary on the quarterback where you can enhance the roster around him, right? And, and that that's where that kind of middle class of quarterback uh, is so that that's why it's so barren. And at least Washington, you know, went after Fitzpatrick at ten million a year ish as opposed to like Teddy Bridgewater at twenty million, which is what he made for, for Carolina a couple of years ago. I mean, when Teddy Bridgewater was the Carolina quarterback, he was making twice as much as Joe Burrow, the first overall pick in the draft. You know, that that's really where the middle class quarterback is sort of absent in football. At least Washington went after that price tag. But even that is is not a great one, right? I mean, when Patrick Mahomes threw fifty touchdowns in two thousand eighteen, he because of league rules, he couldn't go back to Kansas City and say, "Hey, I want more money." <laughs> you know, he had to wait two years uh, before he could make his big payday. If a veteran on a modest deal has an amazing season, he can go right back, uh, you know, and ask for more money. So that cost control, and we talk about that in baseball too, or you know, whatever's left of baseball too. But like huh. the cost control of a rookie deal is a huge. Huge thing. Yeah, it really is massive. The significance of the installation of the rookie wage scale in 2011 really can't be overstated. Uh, Are you a believer in a volume approach to the quarterback position? In other words, a franchise quarterback needy team like the Commanders, both acquiring a viable veteran quarterback, like, say, signing Mitchell Trubisky and taking a quarterback in the first round of the 2022 draft and still having Taylor Heineke and just seeing what sticks? Or do you think that a quarterback needy team like the Commanders needs to have a clear and definitive guy at quarterback for a season so as to, you know, give that guy the first team practice reps and build the offense around that guy? Yeah, as long as the the price tag for that guy is, is not one of these, you know, huge deals that it's impossible to get out from under, 
Absolutely. Like when Nick Foles is the backup for the Eagles, he made pretty good money. You know, Chase Daniel made good money for the Chiefs and he was Alex Smith's backup. Um, you know, those are fine to me as long as the long-term commitment is minimal, right? Like to me, if you're, if you're, you're looking at the QB position, you get a guy, let's say at 15 and you're spending that year, you, you have a high end backup. It's $13 million. That's still like a third of what, you know, a veteran deal is going to make. So I, I don't really, you know, see that as an issue. Now, the issue becomes when you get like, you know, and, and Washington did this, when you get a guy like, you know, Case Keenum for $18 million or something like that, then I think that that starts to add up a little bit. But yeah, I mean, a modest deal, that that's perfectly fine. And even somebody like, and I know he was a roller coaster, you know, mostly bad, but even a guy like Heineke is somebody where it's like, you know, you don't completely shut the door on him. He's probably a high-end backup in the NFL. Um, and he can be the bridge there too, and he's relatively inexpensive. You know, it, it, all those options are, are perfectly fine to me. I think the the one that would trip me up is this idea of like, hey, let's you know, let's pay Jameis Winston twenty million. Like, I, I just don't necessarily think th- that's a plausible thing. But anything beneath that is perfectly fine. What do you make of Mitchell Trubisky and this idea that he could have a Ryan Tannehill like rebirth? Is there legitimacy to that idea? I think anything's possible. I mean, he was the second overall pick. Tannehill was a top 10 pick as well. So there's certainly the pedigree there. Um, you know, I think you, you, I think people have to ask the question about Washington. Are they, and Washington actually ran kind of a unique offensive scheme last year. Is Washington capable of running the kind of scheme that everybody can look at and be like, oh, that's elevating the quarterback, right? Like Arthur Smith's scheme in Tennessee was extremely quarterback friendly. It, it elevated the quarterback immensely. I think any argument on behalf of like kind of a mid-tier quarterback who's on the on the rise again has to surround that. Like he has to play in a very cushy kind of Shanahanian, Arthur Smith, you know, type, you know, like Kevin O'Connell, Sean McVay type of offense. I think in order for that to make sense. One of the things in your article that really stood out to me was you talking up quarterback wins as a meaningful measure of a quarterback and analytics guy giving credibility to wins as a player stat who knew but you make a compelling argument and Mitchell Trubisky's regular season record with the Chicago Bears after his rookie season was 25 and 13 does that perhaps matter more than some of us think yes I absolutely think so I mean and again I I my biggest point is like we we look we look down on quarterback wins, and yet we talk about touchdown interception ratio. When like I we we're all adults and we all can say like no like when Justin Herbert plays like he did against the Las Vegas Raiders, they lose. That doesn't mean that Herbert sucks. It's more over time. There's a reason Kirk Cousins is a 500 quarterback and Aaron Rodgers isn't. You know like and and over time. You know, interceptions, it's like you're, you're going to have, you know, a third of your interceptions are going to be balls that weren't, you know, weren't the quarterback's fault, right? And so, like, to me, it's just like, I don't understand how completion percentage is a quarterback stat when we all know that there are drops and we all know that there are these, this, that, and the other thing. And QB wins aren't when, yeah, we're, we're all going to admit that every, you know, there are other things that, that influence winning and losing, but the quarterback's the most important one. And so, to me, it's, it's just another one where, Again, it's not the first stat I'll use, but it's a stat that I'll, I'll factor in and say, well, you know, do I think Matt Ryan's a Hall of Famer? I think he's been a great player, but it matters to me that he hasn't won in half a decade. 
One more for you. So it was you who developed Pro Football Focus's wins above replacement metric, PFF's war metric. Uh, I love that PFF has this. It cracks me up, though, the extent to which quarterbacks' PFF wars blow away the PFF wars for players at all other positions. Like during the whole Jonathan Taylor for MVP thing, you look at Taylor's PFF war and the PFF wars for the big time quarterbacks, and Taylor for MVP seems laughable. Like Tom Brady's and Aaron Rodgers' PFF wars for the 2021 regular season, each was like four times greater than Taylor's PFF war. Uh, What do you make of that discrepancy? I'm sure that you're not surprised by it, but do you think that this is just always going to be this way, that quarterbacks are valued so much more than guys in other positions? Yeah, it's just, it's so I think of like Joe Thomas, right? Like Joe Thomas is a fabulous player, you know, a Hall of Famer, all this stuff. And you know, he can he can win every single block. And if the quarterback can't throw the ball in the ocean, like how much does it matter, you know? And, and, and I also think of, you know, it's guys like Brady and, and Rodgers and Mahomes and guys that really protect their offensive line. Uh, you know, it's no mistake that Tristan Horst is the best rookie tackle in 2020 because he had the guy that does such a great job of protecting his own line in front of him. And so you just have such an outsized effect on every other player. And even down, and I talked about Jim McMahon, actually, because like he's kind of one of my favorites where, you know, you watch game, old games and it's like the guy kind of never put his defense in a bad position. You know, he always kind of played the field position game and he played with his limitations and stuff. And, like, again, even on the other side of the ball, the quarterback that you have really affects the way you can play defense. If you have a great quarterback, you don't necessarily – you can play more aggressively and try to get turnovers and things like that because you know if you give up a 70-yard touchdown, your quarterback's going to come back and and score again. If your quarterback on the other end is crappy, you can't blitz as much, you can't be as aggressive. And, and And I think, like, again, the quarterback just has an outsized effect on everything that they are going to end up being worth like half, you know, half the value for a team in, in, in a lot of cases. Yeah. Nobody ever rocked a headband as well as Jim McMahon did. So <laughs> I can respect your respect for him. Eric, uh, great stuff. Great work. I appreciate your time so much. All the best to you. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, that was more like it from the Capitals on Thursday night. The Caps had been struggling. Uh, They did not struggle on Thursday night. The Caps shut out the Metropolitan Division-leading Carolina Hurricanes 4-0 at Capital One Arena. Great win for the Caps. They snapped a three-game losing streak during which each loss was a regulation loss. So the Caps this season now are 29-18-9 and have 67 points. Also on Thursday night, the Boston Bruins did win at the Vegas Golden Knights 5-2, so the Caps still are three points behind the Bruins for the top wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference, but the top two wildcard teams in each conference will make the Stanley Cup playoffs, and the Caps now are 10 points ahead of the Columbus Blue Jackets for the second wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. In terms of the Metro, uh, the Caps are fourth in the Metro, 12 points behind the first place Hurricanes, nine points behind the second place Pittsburgh Penguins, they won on Thursday night 2 5 1 at the Tampa Bay Lightning. So the Caps on Thursday night got back two key players from injury, but the Caps now are without multiple other players due to injury. Uh, nothing seemingly is easy for the Caps this season in terms of player availability, but forward Anthony Mantha was back on Thursday night. He returned off having not played in a game 
Since November 4th, Anthony Mantha's last game had been a 5-4 overtime loss at the Florida Panthers on November 4th. He underwent shoulder surgery on November 5th, had been out ever since, but he was back on Thursday night. Also, defenseman Justin Schultz was back on Thursday night. He returned from a two-game absence caused by an upper body injury. However, uh, the Caps have lost forward Carl Haglin for a while. Uh, this is a scary situation. Haglin is out indefinitely of having undergone left eye surgery on Tuesday. Uh, he suffered the injury in practice on Tuesday. Certainly wish Haglin the best uh, for Joe Snively did not play on Thursday night due to an upper body injury. And goaltender Ilya Samsonov was not available on Thursday night due to having been injured in practice on Wednesday. So Haglin got injured in practice on Tuesday. Samsonov got injured in practice on Wednesday. And so Vitek Vanacek on Thursday night was the cap starting goaltender for the first time in more than a month. Uh, for the first time since a 4-3 overtime win at the Pittsburgh Penguins on February 1st. Uh, Thursday night's win over the Hurricanes was Vanacek's second game back from an upper body injury that he suffered in that overtime win at the Penguins. But Vanacek on Thursday night was outstanding. Uh, he stopped all 36 shots on goal that he faced. Uh, this off Vanacek in the Caps' previous game, the 5-3 loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs at Capital Win Arena on Monday night, coming off the bench for a benched Ilya Samsonov and stopping 16 of the 17 shots on goal that Vanacek faced. So two games back now for Vanacek, and he has looked really good. Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Thursday night on VTech Vanacek. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't wasn't much work for him in the first, but like I said, sometimes that's not a good thing. You know, you, you can get some pucks and you can feel the puck and it comes at you a little bit. It keeps you in the game. And so I thought that he got stronger as the game went on. He needed his best in the thirds for, for him to stay focused like that. I thought was really good. You know, for him to come off the bench the other night, he had a good outing down in Hershey. Like I said, I think he let in two goals. Um, had a good outing, and that was the whole purpose of it was to get him up to speed and get him game situations coming at him at, at a speed and a pace that sometimes you don't see in practice. Um, you know, c called off the bench and played two really solid periods for us, and then he jumped in tonight and he was right back at it. So that was really good for our team. Yeah, the Caps have gone back and forth between Vitek Vanacek and Ilya Samsonov for so much of this season. Samsonov's inconsistency and now his injury really do give Vanacek a chance to make the Caps' number one goaltender job his. Uh, we'll see if Vanacek ends up putting a uh, stranglehold on that Capitals' number one goaltender job. But Vanacek was terrific on Thursday night. Vanacek, per natural stat trick, stopped all 10 of the high-danger shots on goal that he faced. Vanacek this season has been a lot better than Samsonov has been at stopping the high-danger shot on goal. Vanacek's save percentage on high-danger shots on goal this season, per natural stat trick, now is 827. Samsonov's is just 769. Uh, that's a big difference right there. And Vanacek on Thursday night shined despite the Caps getting worked in the puck possession battle. Uh, the Caps on Thursday night per natural stat trick had just 35 five-on-five -five shot attempts to the Hurricanes 48, including just four five-on-five high-danger shot attempts to the Hurricanes 11. So you really can't say enough good things about Vitek Vanacek's performance on Thursday night. Uh, also on Thursday night, really good night for Caps special teams. So the Caps went 3-3 three three on the penalty kill, and that's no small feat because Carl Haglin is a key guy for the Caps on the penalty kill. And so with Haglin out indefinitely due to this 
uh, left eye injury. You know, you're going to need to sort of buckle down and figure out ways to succeed on the penalty kill. Well, the Caps did do that on Thursday night. Uh, also, the Caps went 2-6 on the power play. The Caps' power play all of a sudden is alive. But the Caps now have scored a power play goal in nine of the team's last 12 games. The Caps are 11 of 41, 26.8% on the power play over those 12 games. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about the Caps' power play struggling, but the Caps' power play much better lately. Uh, the Caps' two power play goals on Thursday night came from Alex Ovechkin and Evgeny Kuznetsov. Uh, Ovi had a power play goal 15.05 into the second period. Now, overall, this was not a very good game for Ovechkin. Uh, he finished with just two shots on goal. He committed a second period hooking penalty, and he, per natural stat trick, finished dead last on the Caps in five on five shot attempt percentage for the game at 27. .27. Uh, the Caps with Ovechkin on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game had just six shot attempts versus allowing 16 shot attempts. So not a sparkling game for Ovechkin, but he did score a power play goal. Alex Ovechkin now this season at number four in the NHL with 33 goals and tied for number seven in the NHL with 65 points. Kuznetsov on Thursday night, power play goal 18-33 into the first period. He did commit a first period hooking penalty, but Kuznetsov is second on the Caps this season with 51 points. So hard to ignore, right? Two Russians, Alex Ovechkin and Evgeny Kuznetsov scoring for the Caps on Thursday night via the power play. Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Thursday night was asked about what he has observed about Ovechkin and Kuznetsov when it comes to focusing on their play as their country has invaded Ukraine. Uh, this has been a big thing with Russian NHL players recently, right? Uh, how those players have handled uh, being Russian, how those players have handled their Russian president, Vladimir Putin. We certainly have talked about uh, the criticism that Alex Ovechkin has received in this regard. But here was Laviolette on Thursday night. Well, it's really, it's really difficult, you know. I'm, I, I can't, I can't speak exactly because I don't walk in their shoes. Um, but it's really, it's a really difficult situation. They're, they're a part of our team. They're um, a guy like Ovi is the face of the franchise. He's done so much good for the NHL and so much good for this organization. It's a really difficult situation for him. Really difficult situation for Kuznetsov and Orlov and um, the other Russians that we have on our team. So. Um, you know, they're it, it, amazing to, it, and with all that's going on, it's, it's sometimes it's easier said than done, right? You meet with somebody and say, listen, you know, try to separate and it's, that's easier said than done. It's, it's a bigger picture. You're talking about, you know, family and friends and stuff like that. So it's difficult. Yeah, by the way, speaking of Russian NHL players and the criticism that guys like Alex Ovechkin have taken and continue to take, uh, the NHL on Monday put out a statement, quote, the National Hockey League condemns Russia's invasion of Ukraine and urges a peaceful resolution as quickly as possible. Effective immediately, we are suspending our relationships with our business partners in Russia, and we are pausing our Russian language, social, and digital media sites. In addition, we are discontinuing any consideration of Russia as a location for any future competitions involving the NHL. We also remain concerned about the well-being of the players from Russia who play in the NHL on behalf of their NHL clubs and not on behalf of Russia. We understand they and their families are being placed in an extremely difficult position 
end quote. Uh, I thought that that was a very good statement from the NHL, and the latter portion of that statement deals with a lot of what I know I believe about Ovechkin and why he has supported Vladimir Putin in the past. Uh, To me, there is a lot of context and nuance that is required if you're going to sit here and bash Alex Ovechkin for the things that he has said and not said about Putin. And I'm not trying to sit here and put a halo over Alex Ovechkin's head, but I also think a lot of the criticism of him has been over the top and unfair. Uh, Also for the Caps, news on Thursday, they on February 18th, 2023, will play the Carolina Hurricanes at NC State's Carter-Finley Stadium in the NHL's stadium series, an outdoor game. Uh, So good news there. That'll be cool. The Caps playing the Hurricanes outdoors in February 2023. Here was Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Thursday night on the Caps being set to play the Hurricanes outdoors next season. Oh, it's awesome. You know, you see them, you see what happened in, uh, in Nashville with their outside game and, you know, what goes on with that. That's spectacular. I'm familiar with the, the building that it's going to because, you know, just coaching there for, for five or six years and having it being right next to the rank. You, you went to football games there and it's a great facility and um, good for Carolina to get an outdoor game. Good for the, the fans in the Carolina market. Um, and we're certainly excited to be a part of it. Anytime you can take a, um, you can take um, an, into an event like that, you draw in with your team and your organization and your fan base going to an event like that. It's a, it's a really cool day. And so we're excited about it. Yeah, but that day will happen next season. As for this season, uh, next up for the Caps, home to the Seattle Kraken, Saturday night at 7. All right, before we call it a show and a work week on the Al Galdi podcast, uh, let us talk some Wizards. I said, let us talk some Wizards. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, thank you, Stephen A. Uh, The Wizards' next game is on Friday night uh, at 7 against the Atlanta Hawks at Capital One Arena. But we had a major Wizards item on Thursday. Bradley Beal did a press conference for the first time since being declared done for the regular season. That, by the way, is the verbiage that the Wizards have used, that Beal is out for the rest of the regular season. Uh, I guess if the Wizards make the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, Beal could play again this season. Uh, Beal is out for the rest of the regular season due to a torn ligament in his left wrist on which he underwent surgery on February 10th. It is possible that Bradley Beal has played his last game for the Wizards. Uh, He can opt out of his contract this summer. Uh, Now, the Wizards in October offered Beal another max contract extension. As far as we know, he has not given the Wizards an answer on that, but it sure would seem like the answer is no, because even if he wants to stay with the Wizards, he can opt out of his contract this summer and then re-sign with the Wizards, and he this summer will be eligible for a super max contract, uh, what can be a five-year, dollar contract, $48 million per year or thereabouts. Uh, I'm sorry, Bradley Beal is not worthy of a five-year, dollar Supermax contract. More power to him if he gets that, but as a fan of the Wizards in what is a salary-capped league in the NBA, 
I do not want my Wizards giving Beal a five-year, 240-plus million dollar Supermax contract. And yet, that seems precisely where we're headed. Uh, unless he wants out, and if he wants out, then the Wizards are maybe even more screwed because Beal could either leave them for nothing as an unrestricted free agent, or the Wizards could trade Beal in a sign-and-trade, but sign-and-trades seem to rarely get teams equal value for stars. Uh, By the way, Beal on Thursday did say that it is fair to say that he is leaning toward re-signing with the Wizards, but if you really want to be technical about things, uh, that could just mean that he's leaning toward re-signing with the Wizards for the purpose of getting that Supermax contract and then being traded away. Uh, The Wizards have had no interest in trading Beal over the years, and that unwillingness has put the Wizards in this position in which they have very little leverage. The Wizards pretty clearly are afraid of trading Beal. The Wizards pretty clearly are afraid of life without Beal. And so the Wizards have kept giving him mega money contracts, and the Wizards have continually catered to him, even though he's a subpar defender, he's a bad three-point shooter, and he hasn't led the Wizards to anything. The Wizards slash Bullets haven't advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs since 1979. Uh, Beal isn't a bad player, and I don't think that he's like a bad guy, but he isn't an elite player. He's not worthy of close to $50 million per year. He's not. And I hate that the Wizards are in this position. Uh, I'm not sure what to be rooting for. I mean, if I could script how this all plays out, I guess I would script that the Wizards do re-sign Beal. He becomes a more consistent defender. He becomes a better three-point shooter. He, Chris Damps, Porzingis, and Kyle Kuzma form a nice big three. Guys like Rui Hachimura, Daniel Gafford, and Denny Abdia blossom. And the Wizards win 50 games in a regular season for the first time since the 1978-79 season. Uh, That's what I would script to happen. But let me know if all of those things actually happen. You know, I also want it to rain $100 bills tomorrow, but that's probably not happening either. Although if it rained $100 bills, then that would make inflation even worse. So maybe it's a good thing that it probably won't be raining $100 bills tomorrow. Anyway, this was Beal on Thursday on whether him being out for the rest of the regular season impacts the timeline with which he'll decide whether he'll stay with the Wizards. I mean, it's as crazy as it sounds like this is a blessing in disguise too, like being out because I can see the team. I can see our young guys develop. I can see coach continue to develop too. I can see us grow as a team. I don't have to rush to a decision. I don't have to rush to anything. Like everything is just take it a day at a time. Just take everything at a day. Like Shep, Ted, we're all good. You know, we we know what the summer is. Um, And that's always been a straightforward communication between us. And I'm excited that I get to see our team. I get to see what we do in a draft. I get to see some preliminary free agent stuff that we may possibly do. So it's it's a great position to be in. I'm not I'm not mad at all. Yeah. See, I don't like that Bradley Beal continues to hold the Wizards hostage with his decision, you know. Uh, this whole thing of like, well, Bradley, uh, how does this impact whether you'll decide to stay with the Wizards? And well, Bradley, the timeline with which you will decide whether you'll stay with the Wizards. Where are we with that timeline? I don't like that Bradley Beal continues to hold his decision over the Wizards' head. But you know what? I don't blame Beal for this. 
I blame the Wizards for this. They're the ones allowing him to do this. Beal is simply taking advantage of the situation. The Wizards are treating Bradley Beal like an elite player, and so he is welcoming that treatment. Who wouldn't? But the Wizards are the ones who have catered to him. The Wizards are the ones who have treated him like an elite player, even though he is not an elite player. He's a very good player, but he's not an elite player. An elite NBA player can lead a team past the second round of the playoffs. Beal hasn't done that. Again, the Wizards slash Bullets have not advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs since 1979, okay? Anyone who is listening to this who is a Wizards fan needs to know that fact. The franchise has not been past the second round of the playoffs since 1979. That is pathetic. I wasn't even born the last time that the Wizards slash Bullets advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs. Again, the Wizards have a fear of what would happen to them if Bradley Beal left. And I do get that fear to some extent. But what the Wizards really needed to have done is ask themselves, uh, where are we going exactly with Bradley Beal? Like, what exactly are we doing here with Bradley Beal? Because the goal should never have been to just be a playoff team, you know, to just be a 45-win team. The goal should be to be a 50-win team, a 55-win team, a 60-win team. The goal should be to win at NBA championship. And understand, in the NBA, if you're not a top three seed in your conference, you basically have no chance of winning an NBA title. The only two non-top three seeds to win NBA titles were the number four seeded Boston Celtics in the 1968-1969 season and the number six seeded Houston Rockets in the 1994-1995 season. That's it. Every other NBA champion has been a top three seed in the team's conference. So if you are the owner of our Wizards, Ted Leonsis, if you are the president and general manager of our Wizards, Tommy Shepard, everything that you do with the team has to be about the team becoming a top three seed in the Eastern Conference. This, to me, is the way that you have to be looking at things. Everything that you do with the team has to be about the team becoming NBA championship caliber. Is Bradley Beal someone who is helping you become NBA championship caliber, especially if he's on a super max contract? The Wizards have spent so much time over the years trying to get out of Albatross contracts, would the Wizards not be jumping right back into an Albatross contract by signing Beal to a five-year, $240-plus million Supermax contract? My concern is that the answer to that question is yes. You know, it's funny. Most of the time when a team signs a really good player to a mega-money contract extension, that signing is celebrated. Like, think about it. If the Nationals announced having signed Juan Soto to a mega money contract extension, that would be celebrated. There's no doubt about that. If the Commanders announced having signed Terry McLaurin to a mega money contract extension, that would be celebrated. There's no doubt about that. If slash when the Wizards signed Bradley Beal to this five-year, $240-plus-million-dollar Supermax contract, uh, that will not be celebrated by many, if not most, Wizards fans. I can promise you that. And again, I'm not some Bradley Beal hater. Uh, I am a Bradley Beal realist. 
Uh, one other item from Bradley Beal on Thursday. This was Beal on what he wants to focus on this offseason regarding his game. Oh, man, you know, I always say everything, but uh, obviously I need to shoot the three better. I think I'll, that'll be a big focus for me. It's my three-point shooting, uh, being more consistent, for sure. I think that's going to be a high area for me. It's um, shoot a lot of threes, deep threes, off the dribble threes. Uh, I'll be better at that, for sure. Ball handling, always working on that, being better. Uh, everything. I always, you know me, I'm not, I'm not perfect. Nothing I do is perfect or great. So I work on everything, shooting for sure. Yeah, and something that I have always respected about Bradley Beal is that he will be self-critical, okay? He makes no secret of his three-point shooting needing to be better. And make no mistake, his three-point shooting needs to be better. Beal's three-point shooting really has fallen off in recent seasons. And he, for his now concluded 2021-2022 regular season, shot just 30% on threes. Yeah, that's all Beal was this regular season, a 30% shooter on threes. That is unacceptable for a guy as talented as Beal, and for a guy in Beal who seems certain to soon be making close to $50 million per year. Again, more power to him. I don't begrudge Beal or anyone else for making as much money as he or she can, but if you are a Wizards fan like me, ask yourself this question. Is the Wizards signing Beal to a Supermax contract truly in the best interest of the Wizards? The damn Washington Wizards! Exactly. Those guys. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 265. will feature much more on the commanders with whatever comes to us from the NFL scouting combine. Remember the combine is lasting through Monday. Also on Monday's show, I'll talk Capitals. The Caps will host the Seattle Kraken Saturday night at 7. I will talk Wizards, so the Wiz will host the Atlanta Hawks Friday night at 7 and will host the Indiana Pacers Sunday evening at 6. And I will talk about the conclusion of the college basketball regular seasons. We'll have regular season finales for Maryland, Georgetown, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. The Terrapins will be at Michigan State Sunday afternoon at 4.30. The Hoyas will be at Xavier Saturday night at 7, attempting not to finish their regular season 0-19 in the Big East. Uh, the Cavaliers, who are fighting for their NCAA tournament lives, will be at Louisville Saturday at noon. And the Hokies, who are making a strong case for making the NCAA tournament with having gone 9-1 in the ACC since their 2-7 and seven start in the conference will be at Clemson Saturday afternoon at 2. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. So what got you into uh, carpentering? Carpentry? I guess I'd have to say Jesus. He was a carpenter, and I just figured if you're going to follow in someone's footsteps, who better than Christ? Hmm. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.